0: Well, good morning, Go Church family. Come on, you love Jesus? Put your hands together if you do. Come on, maybe a little louder than that. There we go. Wow, what an honor it is to see everybody in house here today on this uh, Sunday morning. You're a part of our South Metro Atlantic campus here at Go Church. And so thanks for being here today. It really is an honor. Many of you know this, but we're one church in multiple locations. So not only do we have all of you in the room today, but we also have our Germantown, Maryland campus family, over 700 miles north of here in the greater Washington, DC area. Right now, they're still online only, but great things are happening for re-entry there. And I'll give you an update here in the next week or so on what God is doing. But we welcome everybody from Germantown watching online and then everybody on our online campus. Thanks for tuning in today. So those of you in the room, can you make some noise? Everybody online, come on, let them hear you. Everybody from Germantown, uh, you guys, you get to be uh, really interactive in the chat feature, whether you're watching through the, the Facebook page or the website, so let us know where you're watching from. If you have any need or you got a prayer request, drop that in the, ca- uh, in the chat section, the comment section. We've got a great online campus team that will be right there available to pray with you and to encourage you along the way. And then we've got, we've got a weekly tradition here at Go Church, and we've done this for a number of years now, and uh, until the Lord comes back or He tells us to do something different, uh, I'm gonna keep pausing before we jump into the message to stop to give honor to the incredibly brave military men and women and all of our courageous first responders. So I know that you've given a lot of applause today, but can this be your loudest applause of appreciation? Come on, to the military men and women. Come on, honor them today. God bless you, thank you. Thanks for serving, thanks for your sacrifice. and It's gonna be a great day. As a matter of fact, you're here on a really good Sunday. We're in week number three of a series that we've been doing, and we're calling it Idols, Idols. Uh, When Good Things Become Bad. When Good Things Become Bad. This is week number three, so if you've missed any of the previous Sundays, you know, have no fear, the internet is near. Come on, so all you gotta do, jump back online. You can go to YouTube, or you can go to the mygochurch.com website, and there you'll, uh, you'll be able to watch on demand, weeks one and weeks two of this Idol series. Now, for those of you that have been able to be a part, whether in person or online, have you enjoyed this series so far? I think it's been great. I know it's been, it's been really encouraging and, and challenging and even convicting for me to preach. Um, But I I pray that it's been the same for you, encouraging and challenging and convicting to listen to. And I've tried to give you some homework assignment uh, throughout the last couple of weeks, and we're going to do that today. Today's going to be fun. It's going to be a good day. I'm going to talk a little politics. Is that all right with everybody? Don't want to get too far ahead of myself, so uh, just kind of buckle up because we're about to jump into the deep end. Now, I encourage you to to take something uh, out to write with You know, whether you got a journal or maybe you got like an old Charlie's napkin, come on, just grab something to write with. If you're going to use your smartphone in the note application, maybe hit do not disturb so you don't get distracted by text messages and social media and all of that, which after last Sunday's message, if you still have social media, I mean, come on now, that's just a joke, but I pray that you're able to take some notes because we've got quite a bit of content today to walk through, And, and I think at some point... In your lifetime, maybe in this season, in the next season, or, or perhaps you have a coworker or a family member or relative, I think they could use some of the, the conversation that we'll have today. So just want to encourage you to take something out to write with, and same for everybody watching online. In week number one, and then continuing last Sunday, I gave you a, uh, a working definition, if you will of what an idol is, and so as promised, I'll I'll give you this working definition each week um, so to make sure we're all on the same page. But here's what an idol is, and this is how we define it. An idol are the things that distract you from God. And again, pausing right there, this list of possibilities of what could become an idol, absolutely limitless. Anything that would distract your attention And that's what the definition goes on to say anything that would consume your affection or your appetite or your attention could become an idol so the things of this world that would pull your affection that should be pointed towards god and that idol would pull your affection from god it's dangerous Uh, anything that would pull your appetite for god away from god the bible reminds us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So anything that the world would offer, that you would turn your appetite towards the things of this world, instead of keeping your appetite on the things of God, could become an idol. And then again, your attention. So this list is uh, could, could, could go on for quite a while because if there's something that is a distraction from you or from God, uh, and they're consuming your affection and your appetite and your attention, it might be an idol. Now anytime that you identify the idols and you begin to worship those idols. Let me give you another definition here. That is known as the sin of idolatry. No dad jokes today about a dollar tree. okay? I'm gonna leave that alone. But idolatry is whenever you worship something or someone and you worship them, although they are not God, but you worship that person or that thing more than you worship the one who is God. Again, let's, let's tie in these two working definitions together. God should be the only one that gets your undivided affection and appetite and attention. And any time the world, and it is the primary objective of the enemy to put some distraction in your life. Give me a good amen right there. Like, come on. We've all all felt temptation. We've all fallen into the trap of the enemy. So anytime the enemy, the primary objective of the enemy is to put these distractions in your life. And whenever we begin to worship those idols created by man and our attention, affection, and appetite is robbed, we fall into the sin of idolatry. And we begin to worship that thing. We begin to worship that person who is not God but we elevate him, or we elevate her, or we elevate it to the place or position that God should be, and we worship them more than we do worship God. That is the sin of idolatry. I've been uh, you know, preparing for this sermon series for a number of months now, and uh, like most sermon series, you know, read a lot of blogs, a lot of articles, a lot of books, um, and obviously, and this, this should warrant some type of positive response, kind of read a lot of the Bible, come on now. So, you know, kind of preparing for these conversations and uh, sometime back. So whenever, I, whenever I'm preparing and studying, you know, uh, because my memory, like some of ours, it's hard to remember everything you've read. So I'll, I'll favorite certain articles that I've read or I'll save the website of a particular article that I've read so I can reference it later. And so I don't recall when I came across this definition, but uh, pulling it back up in preparation of today, it is by the psychiatrist named Jeffrey Satinover, and here's what he says, and I just thought, I don't know much about him, I don't know, I don't know if he's a Christian, although this definition would lean towards that, but, but his words just really kind of jumped off the page and gripped my heart and obviously got my attention. He says, idols will always ask for more and more while giving less and less until eventually they demand everything and give nothing in return. Isn't that so true? Man, in my, in my lifetime, almost 40 years now, I can identify a few things, a few idols along the way, that the more of, of how that relationship evolves between me and that thing, that thing asks for more and more, and yet the withdrawal, what What is returned to me is less and less until eventually I find out that this idol is asking everything of me and giving me absolutely nothing in return. Now, the difference here of idols and and Christ is that God is going to ask you for more and more. Eventually, God is going to demand everything from you, but... He does that because unlike an idol, he is giving everything in return, right? Come on, amen right there. God so loved the world that he gave everything, his one and only son Jesus. He gave it, he gave it all. That's why there's only one true living God and idols whatever they are and they come in all kinds of of shapes and sizes and opportunities and temptations and and lights and lusts and you name it and what you might be wrestling with may not be the same thing of the person social distancing from you in this room or online, but everybody 's got something, and a lot of times whenever we think about idols, we tend to allow our mind to consider like a golden image or a craven image or statue if you will and, and that 's because all over the world, different religions and tribes and, and uh, you know uh, even in Bible days when we read about idolatry and idols in scripture from old testament to new testament we get this mental picture of these golden statues now we don't live in a country or a society where we practice worshiping idols but there are idols and i'll tell you about those more in a moment but i do want to reference one story out of the old testament that in my opinion is probably not only the most I don't know, I hate to say famous, but familiar stories about idolatry, Um, even those who aren't familiar with, with Christ or the church or they've not read the Bible or they're new to church, even those individuals, regardless of where you find yourself on the spiritual spectrum, at some point, we've heard about King Nebuchadnezzar and the three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, all throughout the Bible, and here's just one place, we see where man elevated, created things, and put them in a position higher than the position of God. And that is idolatry. So in Daniel chapter 3, you have the evil King Nebuchadnezzar. He uh, erects this golden statue. The Bible says that it's 90 feet high and it's 90 feet wide. He places it in the downtown square. You can read this whole story in its entirety in Daniel chapter 3. And he gives these instructions And the instructions are pretty black and white. He says every time that, if you're living in this nation, every time you hear the music play, you got to pause and bow down and worship this golden image, worship this golden statue. And so, of course, as many of you know, there were three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And at this point, they said, enough is enough. A little context here. These three boys were basically trafficked from a different country and they were brought into the nation where Nebuchadnezzar was king and Nebuchadnezzar changed everything about these boys. He changed their name. Originally their names were Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He changed them to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He changed their language, their native tongue, he changed their literature. He changed everything. He he trafficked them from one land, brought them to a new land, and changed everything. And as you read this account, you'll see that these three boys complied with all of the king's orders until the king ordered them to do something that went against the truth of their relationship with God, and ultimately it went against the truth of God's word. If you're with me, say I'm with you. Okay. Okay. So if you fast forward to the New Testament, you get into Romans chapter 13, and there we read that we are to obey the laws of the land. That's why you should wear a seatbelt when you get in your car. That, that is the law, okay? So no matter how much full of faith you are, if you don't have your seatbelt on and you get pulled over in Germantown or Petrie City, you get getting a ticket. Hello? Right? So we're supposed to obey the laws of the land. So let me present this question. When then should Christians stop obeying the laws of the land? I think it's the perfect example that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They said, you stop obeying the laws of the land when the laws of the land stop obeying the word of God. Okay, four of you gave me an amen right there. So. Let me try it again. I think the best time that you can stop obeying the laws of the land is when the laws of the land go against God's word. Come on now. That's it. In Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, and when you read it, I don't know how you read it, you know, if you're a Marvel fan, you read it with great, like, adventure and all of that, stories of the Bible. If, you know, if you're a comic fan or, you know, if you're a drama fan or Maybe you love Hallmark ladies. Come on. So you just read everything so sweet and everything works out perfectly in the end and all of God's children end up wearing plaid. Come on now. Um, But when I read this, I read these boys responding with boldness, with authority. They, They knew what the outcome was going to be. Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't worship this golden image, you will be thrown into fire. Imagine that for a moment. Now again, we don't live in a country, thank God, regardless of what you and I think of the current state of society. We don't live in a country where if you don't worship a false god erected by a dictator, you're gonna be thrown into fire. These guys knew the outcome of their decision to say, you're not going in the direction according to God's word and so we're going to draw a hard line in the sand and enough is enough. And when Nebuchadnezzar heard about the arrogance and the audacity of these boys, he said, bring them to me. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar was so furious that his face turned purple, purple with anger. And again, many of you know the story, but he ordered that the fire be cranked up seven times hotter than usual, And the soldiers, the guards, they bound the feet of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the Bible says that as they approached the mouth of the fire, the, the fiery furnace was so hot that it killed the soldiers that were taking the boys to be thrown into the fire. And, and the boys, they had all the confidence in God knowing that if they take their stand and they don't bow down to an idol, God will rescue them and again listen you know it some of you but when those boys got in that old fire the three of them all of a sudden they looked around and there was a fourth man walking in the fire come on now that's some like old school preaching it was four of them walking in the fire and all of a sudden nebuchadnezzar was amazed and mesmerized at the miraculous supernatural power of god if you're wondering who that fourth man was in the fire, it was God himself. He showed up in the middle of the fire because God always honors obedience. Come on, can you give me an amen right there? And the Bible says that when the boys came out of the fire, they didn't even smell like smoke. Come on. I know some of y'all are from the country. you way down yonder in Sonora or something like that. You have bonfires and cookouts and you roast s'mores. If you don't know what a s'more is, you don't know Jesus. Come on now. (laughs) Greatest thing ever. And you know if you've ever been around a bonfire, you've, you know, roasted hot dogs or made s'mores or you just watch the the, the beauty of the flame. When you leave, you're going to smell like some smoke. But these boys, not a hair on their head was singed and their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. God showed up. He performed a miracle. And the boys, watch this. They walked free walked free. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Now, again, we don't live in a country like that, where if you refused to bow down to a false god, your life could uh, literally be, be ended by a dictator. But we do have, and you've seen this list a couple of weeks consecutively now, we have modern day idols. We have things in 2020 that are just as dangerous, just as real, just as fake, just as misleading, just as sinful as the idols of of other nations of this world and of idols in the Old and New Testament. Let me give you this whole list together. And again, this is a a short list. Uh, You could continue to add to this list tens of thousands of things because an idol is anything that would distract you from God. The old preacher inside of me just tried to come up with everything that I could think of that started with an S. So stuff can be an idol. Social media can be an idol. School can be an idol. We have a lot of people that are pursuing education and knowledge and degrees, and those are good. Watch, all of these are good things unless you allow them to become an idol, and now they're a bad thing. Success and achievement and accomplishment and and money and all of those things, Uh, this three-letter word here, still trying to be mindful of the kids in the room. You get to have that conversation with your children. That's not my place today. The idol of science, the idol of sports, we see this all over, right? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge sports fan. Seems like every team I pull for is terrible. Come on, how many of you can identify to that? And then if I ever decide to stop pulling for them, they do really well. Maybe I'm the problem, I don't know, but you know, I know a lot of families that have been divided because of sports. <laughs> Listen to me, come on everybody in this room, don't you let the Georgia Bulldogs take away your family time, ain't worth it. Don't do it. I don't care how many, how many titles Alabama Crimson Tide have won, or how many they claimed they've won. They just claimed they won them all. Yeah, we won in 1812. Not more important than, than family and God. Listen to me. I mean, I see families all the time at the ballpark and travel ball and investing into their children to be this great sports athlete. And that's a good thing unless the soccer ball becomes your God or the baseball becomes your God, or the football field becomes your God. I tell my son all the time, who has a little bit of just natural athleticism to him, I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I tell him all the time, I don't care how many touchdowns you throw, if you don't know Jesus, you've lost everything. So I'm not, I'm not against those things. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I'm just challenging you, don't let the good things become a bad thing. And then of course you've got the idol of state, which is politics, and that's the big one for today, okay? So let me give you a couple more thoughts on these modern-day idols. I gave you some thoughts last week. I'll try to do this each Sunday. Idols are, write these three thoughts down. Idols are inviting. They're inviting. Idols, idols are, in, are attractive. I mean, they're tempting. Uh, the, the word that we used last week, which is synonymous with this, is Alluring. I mean, come on, the enemy is not an idiot. He's crafty, he's cunning, he's scheming. The enemy knows what will catch your attention and what won't. It's no wonder that at the end of 21 days of prayer and fasting, which as a church we just concluded, that now the enemy is gonna put something very inviting in front of you to try to get you off course and back into old habits. Are we okay today, everybody with me? They're inviting. He's going to, the enemy is going to try to tempt you with things that you wrestle with, that you enjoy, that you like. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So you gotta be very guarded, you have to be very careful. So on the count of three, everybody say idols are inviting. One, two, three. Idols are, idols are also insidious. There's a word you don't hear often, but here's what it means. It means they're subtle, they're crafty. Um, Here's another thought. They are always harmful. You you may not even know that there are erected idols in your heart or your home because you have become numb to them. You don't even even know that these things have elevated themselves to the seat where God should be because somehow they've just kind of snuck their way into Your life, and now we feel like we cannot live without filling the blank. So they're inviting, they're insidious. Here's one. They're always just an imitation. Idols are always a counterfeit of the real thing. Can you give me a good amen right there? Are you enjoying today so far? Okay, let me let me show you what I mean. So idols are an imitation. Now now I grew up, and this isn't a this isn't a bad thing, it's just our story. My mom watches online every Sunday. So I always know we got at least one person on our online campus. So mom, I love you so much. But we didn't grow up with much. You know, my, my family, we didn't have a lot of stuff and a lot of money. And my father passed away when I was you know, 13 years old and my mom worked really, really hard to make ends meet. And, uh, and we got government assistance. Thank God that we received social security. It's kind of a running joke you've heard me say it before but i've always said you have never eaten a grilled cheese until you eat a government grilled cheese sandwich i'm just going to say that right there now thankfully we grew up in south florida so there wasn't a lot of cold winter mornings but i remember mornings waking up and it was cold in the house and my mom would open the the door of the stove so we could stand around the door of that stove to get some heat you know and she worked really really hard and Everything that she bought us, the kids, and everything that she provided for the family as a single mom, which, by the way, this is why I have such a huge heart for single parents, because I watched my mother struggle to make ends meet, and she's the greatest mom, and she became the greatest dad, honestly. But a lot of times, most of the time, we didn't get the name brand stuff. Hello? We got the imitation stuff, the knockoff stuff. Now, we live in a different culture today, and, you know, I mean, our kids today, and I'm glad there are some kids in the room and maybe watching online, because there is this desire to have stuff. We need stuff, you know. I've told you this story before, but my son Lakeland, he's 10, he was about eight years old at the time. Man, that, that kid's foot just grows, and it grows fast. Come on now. Like, I mean, this thing is growing. And uh, he came to my room, and he said, he said, Dad, he said, Mom said I need a new pair of shoes. I said, prove it. Come on now, because they're expensive, right? Prove it. He takes his shoes off. His toes are all like curled up like that. I'm like, yeah, it's time. He says, I, I want a pair of Jordans. So here was my response. Me too. <laughs> I want a pair of Jordans too. And I said, but I want to introduce you, son. I put him in the car. I said, I want to introduce you to a 14-time NBA All-Star player. His name is Shaquille O'Neal, and you can get his shoes at Walmart. Any parents with me? Come on now. That's how I grew up. You didn't get the name brand stuff. I said, you want Jordans? You work for it. You save for it. But as long as you're in this house, you ain't getting Jordan shoes. You get Shaq, baby. And ain't nothing wrong with Shaq. As a matter of fact, shout out to Shaq for making good shoes affordable for people who are working hard. So when I was growing up, we didn't get, we didn't get Dr. Pepper. We got Dr. Thunder. Come on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Come on, raise You have it? And this whole two liter cost three cents (laughs) we grew up on dr. thunder baby like this this was it all the knockoff stuff the thing is listen to me i'm gonna let you in on a spoiler alert dr. thunder is not dr. pepper i don't care what they tell you it is not the real thing i don't know what phd both of them have but dr. pepper got a better degree are you with me come on now this is not the real thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, when Kimberly and I, when we uh, got engaged, uh, we, I, we, I asked her to marry me in New York City. Come on. I thought, how could she say no in New York City? So we fly up to New York City. We spent literally like 18 hours in the city. We flew up to New York and, and then that night we flew back down and we got into the city and you know I had a few, a few hundred dollars in my pocket and I remember getting down on one knee in a and carriage in Central Park. Come on, somebody. And uh, the night before, I had rented an old movie called Serendipity. And the next night, after we're engaged, I had reservations at Serendipity. Come on now. Y- y'all don't know. You do not know. Some of you single fellas ought to be taking notes right now. So I remember we're on this horse and carriage. I get down on one knee. My palms are sweating. I had this whole plan. I'm going to propose later in the night, you know, but I propose at like 1030 a.m. because I was so nervous that I was going to lose the ring or get mugged in New York City. I don't know. So after we're engaged, I said, now let me show you the town. What do you want, Kimberly? You name it and you can have it. And she said, I want a Louis Vuitton purse. And I said, you know what? I know just the place to go. So we went to Chinatown. Come on now. And in Chinatown, check this out. I got her a Louis Vuitton purse, baby. Come on. Now, this is Louis Vuitton, but still. I mean, if you saw, if you, y'all know Kimberly, if she walked in with this little purse, you think, wow, Louis Vuitton. Let me tell you, Louis Vuitton and Louis Vuitton. It ain't the same thing. It's different. Idols are always just an imitation. They're always just a counterfeit. They're always a knockoff. And let me tell you something, and then we'll jump into politics for 15 minutes. Watch this. Why would you settle for less than the original? Why would you desire to worship something that cannot produce for you what the original can? Come on now. It is Christ who can give you all of the things that your heart desires and yet we're settling for less than the best? No, I am now maturing in the Lord and if God says I can have all of these things as long as I'm in relationship with him, I'm done. The days of Dr. Thunder are over. Come on now. Oh, give me Jesus. Give, give me the real thing. The real, listen to me, the Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good, this is a good message by the way, taste and see that the Lord is good. All right, I've set you up, I made you laugh, and now I'm gonna tear it all down. (laughs) Politics, here we go, the state, the idol of state. The idol of state. I don't know if, (laughs) if there's ever been a time, certainly not in my lifetime, that politics have become polarizing. I mean, it's quite entertaining, to be honest, on all sides. And a lot of people, they put their hope and their confidence in politicians. A lot of people are worshiping the idol of state. And I hope just to help you today, I promise you this, this is not going to be a divisive message, but I think it will sting. So here's what I've been working on for a couple of weeks. I'm going to give you 10 warning signs that politics have become an idol in your life. So last Sunday we talked about the idol of social media. Today we'll talk about the idol of state. Next Sunday we'll talk about the idol of stuff. So let me give you today, in the next 15 minutes, 10 warning signs that politics have become an idol in your life. This goes for everybody, by the way. So whenever I read one of these 10s, don't just think, yeah, I hope all the Democrats heard that, or I hope all the Republicans heard This is for us. This is for me. This this has challenged me deeply because without even realizing it, I have allowed politics to do some things, and here's the first one. I've allowed politics to steal my joy. You know the idol of politics is real in your life whenever you allow it to steal your joy. Let me tell you this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I do not, I do not, And no longer will I allow politicians or policies to affect my joy and my happiness. I'm I'm not going to allow my day to be dictated by what the news break, the breaking news notification on my smartphone tells me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And for the next 12 minutes is going to be pretty redundant with some things, but I think it's necessary. I get my joy from God, not from man are you hearing me? And at the end of the day, you can, you can choose joy or you can choose to give your joy away. But if you've, if you've erected politics to be an idol, you know it when you always allow politics to steal you of your joy. I'm not, listen to me, I'm not doing that any longer. I know who is in control. I know who is sovereign. His name is Jesus. Now, should I petition him and pray to him about the concerns of the day? Yes, but my hope is in him. My joy is in him. Can you give me a good amen? A second warning sign is this. You know that you have allowed politics to become an idol when you blame all of society's problems on the other party's candidate. You know it. Listen to me. Everybody lean in for a second on line two. Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Okay, hear me. Our president, Donald Trump, is not the problem. The the vice president elected one day, hopefully he desires to be president is not the problem. Do they both have problems? Yep, and so do you, and so do I, but you know that you've made an idol out of politics when Listen to me, when everything is Donald Trump's fault. Now, that's not new, because when Obama was president, we blamed everything on Obama. As a matter of fact, there was a hashtag movement called Thanks Obama, and so everything that somebody didn't like, they blamed it on Obama, and guess what? Before well, for Obama, it was Bush, and that will go on and on and on. I, I read something the other day that really just troubled me, uh, because many of you know that Last week, give or take on the timeline, President Trump's brother passed away. And I read something online by a reporter that said, isn't it a shame when God picks the wrong brother? Really? That's what we come to? Because we disagree on policy and politics? Man, we, listen to me. We live in a fallen world. Sin is in this world. And the only hope and the only answer is Jesus. I need like 200 people to give me an amen right there. Like, listen, it's not all Bush's fault. It wasn't all Obama's fault. It ain't all Trump's fault. And whoever and whenever they are next, it won't all be their fault. We have to take some ownership in this. But ultimately, the battle is not with each other. It's against the enemy, the principality and the power and the ruler of darkness. His name is Satan. Let's not get our eyes off of the primary enemy. His name is Satan. And listen to me. Let's just remind the enemy that when Jesus went to the depths of the earth. He fought Satan face to face, and there he was victorious by taking back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Come on, I'm preaching now. So every time the enemy thinks that he's won, let's remind him that those who are in Christ, we have the victory. Come on now, we got the victory. I gotta move. Number three is this, when you side with your political party on every single issue without thinking through that issue from a biblical perspective. That's when you've allowed politics to become your idol. Listen, I'm I'm not up here endorsing Republican, Democrat, Independent. I'm up here endorsing King Jesus. And his word is the final authority. Listen to me. How dare we justify our political affiliation knowing that these elected officials are going against God's word? Where are the Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes that say, you know what? I may have voted for you, but that sir or that ma'am, it is wrong. How is it wrong? Because it does not line up with God's word. Are you listening to what I'm saying? here's, here's Here's what I hear a lot. Well, it's the lesser of two evils. Okay, Bible says to work out your own salvation But I'm telling you this, and I'll come back to another point here in a moment that's pretty similar to this, but you cannot, as a Christian, swipe under the mat issues that God is vehemently against, that he considers to be an abomination. And we say, well, I mean, hey, it is what it is. That's when you know you've allowed politics to become an idol. Number four, when you can name 12 politicians, but you can't name 12 disciples. Here's what I'm going to do this morning because I felt tension. I'm just going to stand behind the TV as a protective measure for me and my family. A little homework assignment here. It's easy to name 12 politicians, but can you even name the 12 disciples? All right, I'm going to keep going. Number five is this: you know that idols or the politic of idols has been established in your heart or home when you spend more time thinking about or more time listening to politics than you spend in God's word or you spend in prayer. So, you spend more time watching Fox News than you spend reading the good news. You spend more time listening to CNN than you do listening to HIM. Come on. At the end of the day, when every thought is consumed about politics and who will win What's going to happen at the debate? and You know, what's, what's Trump going to say? and How will Biden respond? And Oh, my, now this world event has happened. And all of a sudden, our whole thought process is focused, listen to me, on things of this world instead of the things of God. That's when you know that politics have become an idol. Number six is this. Oh, man. Woo. Let me just pause before I even say it. Jesus, take the wheel. Come on now. When you judge a person's level of commitment to Jesus, once you learn about their political affiliation. So I thought highly of you until you told me you were connected to that political party. Now I don't even know if you love Jesus. You know, in my ministry time, I've said this a hundred times over. For those who are in Christ Jesus, you've called upon the name of the Lord You pursue Christ daily, and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When we get to heaven, I think we're going to be real surprised at who shows up and who didn't make it. In heaven, there will be Republicans and Democrats. Hello? Somebody told me a couple of months ago that they were asking the Lord to help them tolerate people in the other political party. Think about that. That I have to figure out how to tolerate you because you're not a part of my my party. That is just, first of all, it's immature. Somebody say amen right there, because it is. And secondly, that's not even God-like or Christ-like. Man, how dare we judge some, it's not our place to judge people to begin with. Now, the Bible says that you'll be known by the fruits you bear. So there's a level of accountability, but how dare we judge somebody and what we think about their commitment to Christ because they said they were Republican or Democrat. Okay, I'm going to move on. Number seven is this, 10 warning signs, politics have become an idol in your life. When you make excuses for why you support certain politicians and policies, even though you know they are ungodly, It's, it's quiet out there. Now, now this is a tough one because on both sides of the aisle, we're moving further and further away from the truth of God's word. That's why, listen to me. That's and I'm not I'm not trying to be political, but that's why the church is essential. It's why we need the church. It's why we need God's people to stand up for the word of God to speak out the word of God, and ultimately, what happens? We will walk free. We'll walk free, but we will support politicians and policies that go completely against God's word. That's when you know that maybe politics have become an idol. Everybody good? Wave at me if you're good. If you're sitting with family, all right, nudge them and say, he's really tapping on your toes right now. Come on, encourage them. Number eight is this. Here's one. You know that politics have become an idol whenever you pray for a politician, but your primary prayer is that they win or they lose. Oh, God, let him lose. Oh, God, let her win. This is a big one. Um, Regardless of your opinion of our current president, I think we all can agree he's the most polarizing president of our lifetime, okay? Regardless of your opinion, though, of him as a person or his policies, if you are a Christian, you have a responsibility a biblical responsibility to pray for him. To pray for him. To ask God to touch his heart. And not just his heart, but all of the elected officials above us in whatever city, state, or country you live in. To lift them up in prayer. And watch this. So lean in for a second. Listen to me. Don't, Don't get tired. The more you dislike him, the more you should pray for him the more you dislike her or whoever it is and your city, state, et cetera, the more you should pray for them and not just pray that they lose an election or win an election, but that the power of God would invade their life and they would lead our communities, and lead our cities, and lead our states, and lead our nation in the ways of God, and in the word of God, drawing people back to Jesus. Come on, if we're gonna clap, let's do it well. We ought to pray for those above us in leadership. Oh man, that God would grab hold of those in those positions. And that revival would happen from the White House to your house. And there would be a great awakening in our nation. Come on there. We have, we have the power and the responsibility to vote, but we can also pray. Let me give you two more. Number nine is this. When you're more concerned about the next four years than you are about eternity. Let me tell you something. You, you've read the Bible, many of you, as have I, Things are going to get worse before they get better. Now, I am in this world, but I ain't of it. I know that I've got kids, and Lord willing, we'll all be around in four years, but my eyes are fixed on heaven. Heaven is my home. Sharpsburg ain't. Hello. This is a little grammar for you. No, let's get our eyes off of just the next four years and let's get our eyes on eternity. The things of God. Come on now, number 10 is this, are you ready? It's the last one so don't miss it. You know that you've erected the idol of politics in your life when you were offended by any of the statements that I just made. So something I said, you were like, oh no. Well, maybe maybe we're bowing down to the idol of politics. A couple years ago, I read Psalm 146. Uh, The author is unknown as as far as I know, Um, but I journaled this and I think it's appropriate for today. Let me read it to you. Praise the Lord. Now that's what we need, right? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise him as long as I live. I will sing to my God all of my life. You ready for verse number three? Come on, everybody listen, everybody online. Don't don't log off just yet. We got a few more minutes, you'll be out of here. Watch this, verse number three, watch. Do not put your trust in human leaders because no human being can save you. Watch this, watch verse number four, watch. Because when they die, they return to the dust and on that day, so whenever our elected officials die on that day, all of their plans come to an end. Now, oh, man, I feel the Holy Spirit inside of me right now. Now watch this, verse number five. But happy are those who have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Happy are those who have the God of Jacob to help them and who depend on the Lord their God. My hope is in God. My dependence is in God. Come on. I love this. Watch. A few more verses. Watch. He is the creator of heaven. Woo! He's the creator of earth. He's the creator of the sea and everything that is in them. And I love this. This is something no politician can do. He, the Alpha and Omega, He, the beginning and the end, He, the first and the last, King Jesus will always keep His promises. The Bible says that all of His promises are yes. And amen, and then watch this it 's almost like the author writes a, uh, a a resume for being a candidate. Watch this about the creator of heaven and earth. watch he judges in favor of the oppressed. Thank God thank God he looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. He gives food to the hungry that 's what we should do, and not just physical food but Spiritual food. The Lord sets the prisoners free. It doesn't mean He walks into actual prison and says, Hey, y'all, bunch of murderers, come on out. No, it means that he says, if you are in a spiritual prison, no, there is liberty and there is freedom. He gives sight to the blind and he lifts those who have fallen. He loves his righteous people. He protects the strangers who live in our land. He helps the widows and the orphans. Can we elect this one? Give me this candidate. But takes the wicked to their turn. And watch verse number 10, watch, the Lord is king forever forever your god o zion will reign for all time i got to do this really quick because i had a few more things to say three truths from psalm 146 number one is this every politician will eventually fell us because they are human at some point every politician is going to fail us number two is this there is no political leader more powerful than god God is the ultimate authority. He has all knowledge, all wisdom, all power. He's omnipotent and omnipresent. He is all, he knows all. He's been here before it all began. He'll be here after it all ends because he is our forever king. He's our forever king. So don't be surprised. I'm not shocked when another politician fails us. They are human beings that many people have elected thinking that they are our Savior. No man comes to the Father but by Jesus. All right, let me give you this, the final thought, and we'll be done. So how do we tear this down? Because it needs to be destroyed. Very practical. I want you to think of the ABCs, the ABCs. A, we've got to acknowledge that Jesus is the King of kings, and he is the only one worthy of our worship. Come on, give me a better amen. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the only one that is worthy of our worship. He's the only one that can save us. Don't don't put another idol in his place. I've told you this before, he's a jealous God. Don't give anything or anyone else your your affection, your attention, or your appetite. You have to acknowledge that Jesus is the king of kings and he's the only one worthy of our worship. B, watch this, you have to be honest with yourself. I, I gave you a great litmus test a moment ago, 10 things that now you can take and you can be honest with yourself. Are you, are you elevating people and politics and the position that God should be? And then here's see, because I'm just a real practical kind of person, you need to cut off the sources that are feeding you. Cut them off. So here's what that means. Some of you, you don't need to watch cable news anymore because you can't take it. You need to get off social media because you can't take it. You might have to cut off some relationships because you can't take it. Listen to me, at the next family get-together, and I don't know when that'll be because of COVID-19 and social distancing, but don't talk politics. Just don't do it, why? You You gotta be honest with yourself so that you can cut off the sources that are feeding you. Now, every Sunday I close with a closing question or thought. Here it is for today. I hope you wrote these down or you took a good little quick photo. Here's the question. So have politics become an idol in your life. And if they have, What steps are you willing to take to tear it down? Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for this word. I pray that my heart was heard and not just the words out of my mouth. Lord, for what it's worth, this is certainly a difficult conversation to have because of the divisiveness that is in our land. But you tell us that A nation divided against itself will not stand. We need unity. We need peace. And it starts with me and my house and my heart. God, forgive me of the times that I've put policy and politics above the person of God, above the things of God. I want to tear those things down. I'll use my right to vote. And I thank you we live in a democracy that allows that beautiful opportunity and right. But my hope is in you. My confidence is in you. Over the next few months as we walk into this election, let me just pray out of my heart for a moment, okay? Over the next few months as we walk into this election, God, I don't wanna lose my joy and I certainly don't wanna lose my Jesus. You've done too much. Let me be light in the darkness. Let me be the hands and feet of Christ extended. Let me let me, let me shine light on people that need a savior, that they'll never find in a person that's elected into a position of power. No, God. And Lord, at the end of the day, regardless of who our next president and vice president are, you are in control. And we give you all things. And we know we can't just preach about it and use the Bible when we want to. Even if things don't turn out the way that someone might desire or even be praying, we know that you work all things together for our good. And we are living in the last days, and whatever needs to be done to get the attention of your people so that they would turn their eyes off the things of this world and turn their appetite, affection, and attention towards you, then, watch, your will be done. Your will be done, not my will, not our will. Your will be done. In the most powerful name we could ever pray, It is the name of Jesus Christ we pray, and together everybody said amen.